Yo everyone, welcome back to Brand New Techish, we in the building, it's Michael Bahane with Abadese. Woo woo, Abadese, alright, let's get it cracking. Um, should we talk about this Basecamp versus Apple thing, this David yeah, and Goliath glory? let's be do f- it. Do you have your hey email address yet, Abba? <laughs> I'm still waiting for them to reply, I sent in a haiku, because uh, they said you can write whatever you <laughs> want about email, so I sent in a haiku, I'm still... Still waiting to hear back. I mean, honestly, I don't know if I'm going to pay for email, but but let's talk about it. David versus Goliath. What, what are you saying, Michael? Yeah. So basically, Hey is a new email service created by Basecamp, which has been, you know, a longstanding company. They're a remote first company. They're a bootstrap company. So they're quite famous in the, you know, the tech world. They've launched a paid email service. So essentially you pay $99 for the year and they've rebuilt email from the ground up. So it's meant to be a whole new email experience, privacy centered, um, you know, just more from first principle. So a lot of the features that you might have, like, for example, no one can email you without your permission. So you will be able to screen every email that gets sent to your inbox, basically. Regardless, wow. I recommend everybody have a look at hey.com, right? But the problem is they submitted their app to the app store for Apple and Apple actually has not rejected it, but basically said, we will reject this unless you integrate our um, in-app purchases. And essentially they take a 30% cut. Now, Basecamp right. has refused, essentially saying that's kind of onerous. We're not paying 30%. You know, apps like Uber and Spotify, they don't pay 30% to, mm. you know, to Apple for their apps. Same as Netflix. Um, and those companies seem to have carved out like an exception for some reason. Wow. Um, and I guess it's literally because they're, because they're the big venture dogs. That's literally backed. it, right? <laughs> yeah. Venture back, big dogs, whatever. I mean, those com- Uber wouldn't be able to thrive if they had to pay 30% of every, t- every transaction. Neither would Spotify, neither would Netflix, right? Um, so it turned into a big hoopla between Apple and Basecamp. And wow. then I think lawmakers got involved and it looks like apple's kind of bowed down now and said all right cool we'll, 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 you know, we will <laughs> bow down and not allow this to kind of continue right so Spicy. what are your thoughts like what does is this because you know apple never really comes up in that conversation about monopoly like we always talk about the googles the facebook and apple's kind of like the good guy of tech like nobody really pays attention to them when it comes to like should they be broken up or should there be some kind of external regulation do you think this now opens up the conversation to conclude apple now and say maybe you have got too much power I mean, because if your app sure. is banned from the app store do you really exist? Let's keep it real. Like, I mean, that's a very good point. I guess, especially like in the Western white countries where iOS is the dominant yeah. um, system. I mean, I know there's like research around other markets where Android is the winner, but yeah, certainly like where we are concerned and most of our listeners, it's tough. I mean, you know, this isn't really the first time Apple have done like monopolistic, oligopolistic tactics to reduce mm, competition. Mm. I mean, it's so funny, isn't it? Because it's Apple as a, as a brand. It's almost like a cult, isn't it? Don't get me wrong. I'm a devout yeah. follower. I'm so locked in the ecosystem. You're and in I've the been, cult. <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, I've been reflecting on my iPhone XR that I bought earlier this year and it is, it, it's not a superior product. I mean, it's it, not. I I spent so much money on it and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, sometimes I have to hold myself accountable to like the value for money (laughs) framework, even where Apple is concerned. Um, And yeah, I think I'm certainly, the veneer is wearing off somewhat. And then especially when I hear stories like this, even more so. It's interesting because Mm. we covered the story around Apple's credit card. And again, another base camp (laughs) person in the mix because DHH had a higher credit rating approval than his wife because the algorithm uh, (laughs) was sexist. But yeah, this is absolutely a reminder to all of us that tech is too big. Apple especially, I think this is like, I mean, even the fact that, I mean, Basecamp, like 
Basecamp are big amongst quotation marks indie makers. Like, what about actual mm-hmm. actual indie makers and and oh, bootstrappers and creators? You're no chance for them, right? Yeah, you're done out here. Thirty percent, you're done out here. I mean, like, if you make a thirty percent profit margin as a normal like company, like a restaurant or whatever, right? You're actually doing pretty okay. So, so for well. Apple to say our our fee is like thirty percent, like that's ridiculous. Um, I think credit where credit's due. Obviously, Apple. You know, back in the day, if you downloaded software onto your phone or onto your computer, you didn't know if it was going to give you bugs. You didn't know if it was going to like mess up your, your machine. And essentially the app store, when you download an app, you know, it's going to work. Number one, it's not going to mess up my phone. Right. So the app store does have a purpose and a function that I respect. And it does have a good, does like serve a, um, to a good end. But I think they've got to work on that fee. And I think actually the fact that lawmakers were getting involved got them real shook. And they were like, you know what? Let's just back down because we don't want to be hold in front of Congress and get caught up in this anti-tech sentiment. Because Apple, to know, Apple has, like I said, was the good guys. In terms of this whole privacy debate, Apple was the ones that were kind of like, yeah, we're not like Google and Facebook. We don't steal data. We're the good guys, right? So I think they're very aware of framing. So you don't think you would pay... Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's email. talk about this a little bit. Because I remember when like yeah, Super, Superhuman came out and everyone's like, oh my God, it's amazing. I was getting like referred left, yeah, right, yeah, and center. Yeah. And then I saw the price and I was like, eh. I mean, this is how I feel about email. It sucks. Like anybody going to tell me email sucks? Just like the way mail sucks, right? It's annoying yeah. to get posts. Every now and then it's delightful because someone sends you a card or something else. But, you know, the, the, by design and, and, and as a consequence of its utility, it is inherently frustrating and annoying because it's a communication mm-hmm. channel. And I just mm-hmm. think for that reason, I won't pay for it. I just won't pay for it because there are so many other things I can spend my money on. How about you? Do you pay for email? Would I you pay I- for email? I would consider it. I was looking into, hey, I think I might do it and just try it at least because I spend so much time in my inbox that actually if my day can improve by 10 or 20% because of a better email experience, would I pay for that? Probably. How much, I mean, how much do I spend on software that I probably don't even use or doesn't even necessarily help my business? Maybe that makes me a fool, but email is the pinnacle of most of our companies. So to underinvest in it probably mm. is like an oversight, you know what I'm saying? But we're just so trained yeah. to something. We're trained to free. That's the thing. Once once you're trained to, to something being free, it's very hard to kind of shift, shift the mindset. It's not to come that out though. There, right? For me, for me, the argument is 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 about utility here. Like to your point, if it's saving X hours a day, oh, it's more than more than paying for it. But I just don't think there's anything that can be like intuitive and personalized enough to really do that. Except unless you do that like investment upfront where you get it all set up, and then that means there's like a cost to switching, which I can't be bothered with. This episode is sponsored by Mode Analytics. Mode is a collaborative analytics platform that brings together teams around data to make game-changing decisions. They are hiring on pocket jobs for an enterprise account executive based in New York. In this role, you will be an instrumental player in evangelizing Mode's platform and responsible for growing their new business. Check out the link to the job in the show notes. So there's two tech companies that I feel like have been you know, they've just been slipping recently. So anyway, so there's Robinhood. Have you heard of Robinhood? Of Robinhood, course. the trading app. Yeah. So Robinhood, the trading app, essentially it's kind of like trading stocks for millennials. So it's got a really beautiful UI. It looks like a game basically, right? And it's got a lot of people into stock market investing. I don't think it's out here in the UK, but I know in the US it's pretty much a big deal. Now what's happened is a young man died by suicide and he was found with the app in his hand with losses of up to 700,000. So essentially I think... Yeah, so so I think, yeah, I think the app allowed him to use all this kind of leverage and made it so intuitive. And I'm reading the article and in his note that he left, he said, I didn't even know what I was doing. I had no clue, like what, 
I was even all I knew was just free money. And before I know it, I'm down eight hundred thousand. Now, obviously, Robin Hood now has come out, apologized, and said we're going to work on putting in more controls. But like, speak on the danger of like gamifying things that probably shouldn't be gamified. I just, I honestly feel like certain apps shouldn't be user friendly. That it should be difficult. You should know what you're doing. There should be guardrails in place, right? Like. This is so tragic. How can a twenty-year-old borrow so much money and end up in that kind of debt? Like, nah. And obviously, the background is Robinhood is a billion-dollar company. This ain't no small thing. This is like you know a lot of funds have put money into this startup. This is a serious product, and it's going to be an IPO company. It's going to IPO pretty soon. Like, we never talk about. What do you think? We never talk about the ugly side of scale, do we? Yeah, we we never talk about the ugly side of scale. We never talk about the people that slip through the gaps you know we build up all these processes we institute all of these like frameworks and strategies and then and then something incredibly tragic happens and this is such a great example of that i just think why does it take the worst conceivable thing for us mm. to do better i know me and you have talked about the dangers of scale i don't think anybody else is out here because i mean what is russian bots or bots on twitter like that is the problem of scale where you just worry about getting as many users as possible and you don't care about verifying whether these users are real or whether these users are you know have malignant intent and this is an example of that where they're like yo man, let's make the app as seamless to use as possible let's build this up and let's get as many young millennials involved in trading you know, education be damned who cares if they don't know what they're doing because we're yep. going to get to a billion dollar ipo yep. um, and then the other thing I've heard about Robinhood, um, which I can't completely verify, but I read an article briefly. Because it's free, what their unique selling point was that there's no fees for trading. So normally on, on most trading apps, you've got to pay a certain percentage every time you sell or buy a stock. Right, Where Robinhood course. is completely free. So we all know that when something is free in tech, you know- It ain't you, free. <laughs> it ain't free. So what they were doing actually is that they were selling a lot of the data regarding what trades are being done on the app to high frequency algorithm trading companies before those trades get executed. Are you following what I'm saying here? Like, wow. so let's say you make a trade and then me and you make a trade. And then at the end of the day, it gets all of our trades and sells that data to another third party who will use that information to get an advantage in the market, right? So when the product is free, you're the product essentially, right? And why that's important is that while the market is going up, up, up right now, it doesn't make a difference. But when the market is tanking, it means that whatever Robinhood investors do will be um amplified so if the market is going down and everybody's selling these third parties who get the data will be able to sell before these guys impacting the robin hood retail investors so regardless people are going to get hurt and people are going to lose a lot of money i'm glad that you know they're, they're trying to democratize investing but there needs to be guardrails in place right and there needs to be more transparency especially around that third party thing data and especially yeah. around there needs to be steps yo do you know what you're doing have you had experience and warn people. Like, pop up? Sorry, but warn like people, surely, like... surely how like I mean if I'm I'm not an expert in all this stuff, but I'm pretty sure that usually like your exposure is limited, like in any kinds yeah. of these things. So like it, sh- yeah. it shouldn't be hard for them to create a feature flag based on someone's profile and credit history to be like, whoa, this person is like overexposed. They should not be um in a negative balance of this degree. This is crazy. Yeah. Another tech company who um, I've always side eyed for a long time is Nextdoor. Oh, Lord. So Nextdoor. Do you want to explain what Nextdoor is? On Nextdoor. Nextdoor is a platform for white people to basically, <laughs> basically like call out anything they see on their streets that they don't like, right? I have been subscribing to Nextdoor and it's so funny. Nextdoor is such a great way to explain privilege. If someone yeah, says to you, oh, I don't understand white privilege, I don't understand racial privilege, just get a mixed group of friends 
and be like, hey, who uses next door? And see the re- <laughs> see the different reactions based on race. So in my friendship group, everyone kept talking about next door, white people. I was yeah. like, oh, next door so useful. Oh, next door so good. Oh, I found out about this. And then around the time lockdown first started, I was like, let me get on next door then. Everyone keeps saying it's a useful way to find out what's happening. <laughs> and I realized it's incredibly racist. Incredibly yeah. racist. All it is is someone being like, oh, suspicious gentleman walking up and down our road. Has anyone noticed a young black thug in a hoodie walking up and down our street? <laughs> I noticed him too. Blah, 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 oh, blah. Lord. Turns out to be the neighbor. Like, anyway, so next door, um, yeah, I have a lot of uh, thoughts about next door. And again, it's just really reflective and indicative of like how in tech, like when you just have an all white team and you just you just don't get it and you just don't see it. Like you don't get the it. thing is you don't know what the world is really like. Even I myself as a straight, black, cisgender, heterosexual woman, I don't know what the world is really like for people with other identities and different types of privilege. And next door is right. just like whiteprivilege.com. So essentially it's meant to be like a social network for your neighborhood. That's the that's the pitch, right? Mm-hmm. But what's ended up happening <laughs> is that it's just basically become some George Zimmerman neighborhood watch thing where everyone's just like, There's a black person here, what's going on? And so there was a feature where they made it pretty seamless for you to contact law enforcement, right? And it now looks like, you know, because of the whole wave of like Black Lives Matter, they're saying we're taking down this feature. They've claimed that it had like low usage and that's part of the reason why, but I don't believe that for five seconds, yeah? Because we've seen all the footage of all, you know, the Karens going crazy, calling the police on any black man walking down the street. I don't believe for a second that feature was underused. You know what was happening. It just looked real bad. They're like, no. And the dangers of scale, like you said, it shouldn't be this seamless to call the police. Like white people already are calling the police too often. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be building an app saying press one button and the police will be here. No, please. Like, cause you're putting everybody else's lives at risk here. Yeah. Uh, I just think like uh, we've had an opportunity now to see the veil drop. I mean, it's already going back up again. It's already going back. Sorry. Mikey. You know what? Talk about that. I saw your tweet. I saw your tweet. You're basically saying like <sighs> things have come back to normal within a week. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where my white, I- white allies went. I don't know where they went. Cause it's, <laughs> It's quiet again. And it's it's sad. It's sad. Like in my most cynical moment, I was like, this will last to July, August. Man, I didn't know that it would end on Juneteenth. I didn't realize that Um, Juneteenth was the bow out. Juneteenth was the curtain call. That's it. We done. Yeah. Listen, as soon as it stops trending, you're going to see a Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, just in general, forget even diversity in tech, the whole, you know, uh, BLM movement right now, Mm -hmm. there's got to be some concessions that are put in ink ink right now, whether that's police, the funding, everything in general, because give it a few months and everyone's going to be head scratching thinking what was all that about yeah why just you know what i'm saying for like just, another yeah. viral video to go around huh ah uh, yeah i mean yeah that might be right that might be it but yeah um, i just wanted to say like let's be let's be mindful like lasting change comes because we are all doing the effort of changing our habits and changing our mm. thoughts and re- <laughs> three weeks ain't long enough to introduce a new habit that's that's no, for darn for sure <laughs> you're damn right Uh, speaking of Juneteenth, did you see that Snapchat filter? Oh my gosh, tell me what. So basically, um, it was a filter where it would it kind of had like the Pan-African flag behind the behind you. So it would have the, you know, the red, black and green. And then it would have like chains behind you. And then if you smiled, the chains broke free. It kind of to... Who gets to make these <laughs> things? <laughs> well, basically, when you smile, the chains break free, essentially. I don't know if this was a third party developer. Yeah, but even if it was a third party developer who did this filter how did that get approved oh my lord and i think the worst thing is that snap for the longest time has been like we're not releasing our diversity numbers like it's not important right so like 
I don't know. Talk to me. Like, this is why though, because this shouldn't have been ha- like anyone black at the company would have been like, no, this is not a go. Like, take this down right now. I just think, huh, we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. The thing is, like, is there like some kind of innovative new way that we can just like flag racist stuff whenever we see it? Like, for example, with that kind of stuff, someone should just be like, ding, 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 racist. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we call 999 when there's emergencies, something else when there's fire. We need a racism hotline. I think that's what I'm saying. (laughs) We need a racism hotline. Every time you call it, someone like looks into it, deconstructs it. I don't know. I just feel like we need we need new things to help us in this fight. I need Al Sharpton's number. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my um, God. This episode is sponsored by Reactor. Reactor is a team of designers and engineers that craft digital products and services for diverse clients and industries around the globe. With offices in New York, Helsinki, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Dubai and Stockholm. They are looking for great engineers with diverse backgrounds for their projects in New York. Check out the link to the job in the show notes. A bit of internal strife within the movement or quote unquote within the movement. So mm-hmm. rapper J. Cole, yes. um, you know, he's a lot of people's faves. You know, he's probably been top three in this new school generation of rappers, Kendrick oh, and yeah. Drake and J. Cole really like. So he came out and released a song out of the blue kind of thing. And essentially... He was, he didn't name the person, pardon the pun, as you'll see in a minute. He essentially, (laughs) (laughs) he essentially, um, called out somebody who had called him out. So the backstory is the rapper No Name, who's kind of, I think she's independent, but she's, she's hella amazing. woke. Like I, Check out yeah, her follow... tiny desk concert on YouTube if you haven't yeah, seen her. Yeah, and she's, she's got like a book club and, and it's like bare radical, it's like hella radical books and everything. So um, shout out to her. So essentially, I think during the beginning of this new resurgence of the movement, she tweeted out like, where are your favorite rappers? Like who've got hundreds of millions of followers. What? They're not doing anything, right? So in J. Cole's new song, he said yo like that hurt me like why are you doing this why are you calling me out um you know i respect you but you know don't call me out i'm doing my part blah 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 um now no name came back and responded with a song as well and it was a bit of a back and forth but to me i just felt like j cole's ego just got the better of him i don't know why he got so upset about the fact that she said a a true statement which is yo where are your favorites right now and i think sometimes like as, I don't know if it's a dude thing or whether it's just a rapper thing, but I don't know why he got so in his feelings about it. Because when you're as high profile as him, people are tweeting all kinds of recklessness about you, exactly. right? Exactly. So I don't get why that why that irked him. Unless it touched a sore spot sometimes where like the truth hurts. Maybe yeah. he felt like, yeah, maybe I'm not I doing enough. So. And he came out and was like, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I'm not as woke as you think I am. I, I haven't done the reading. You know, no names done the reading. I'm not the person you think I am. And sometimes maybe, you know, he's got the dreads. And he's always at the rally sometimes. And he does come across as like not the quote unquote gangster rapper, typical rapper, whatever you want to, you know, mm. phrase it as. So maybe he thinks that his, the perception of him was too woke and that he can't live up to that. So when she mentioned that, you know, where are your faves, favorite rappers? It just hit, it triggered him, right? But he's got to do better than that. I don't know why. I he, think why like, he got why involved, would you like, just take it out? Like, it just feels petty. It just felt so petty. And I think. Oh, definitely. Her, I mean, I'm such, I'm such a fan of her music, so I'm totally, totally biased. And I definitely of late have been listening to her far more than I have J. Cole. But the point that she made is so true. And I, I kind of wish we raised it on a episode earlier. You know, where were these, these rappers with these massive platforms to come out and and start this conversation? Cause you know, Kendrick, J. Cole, Drake, they have huge white followings and they had like a really great opportunity there to talk about what it is to be anti-racist and what it is to, you know, show solidarity as a white person for black power. So yeah. I, I, I was I was quite gusted. I was quite disappointed. And it's interesting because in the whirlwind that's been the last few weeks, I myself also kind of 
didn't realize that. I think I was so caught up in what was happening in tech, mm -hmm. um, as well as social justice in general, that I kind of forgot like who was quiet from the world of entertainment. You know what the thing is though. I this is my nuanced position on this. I think mm -hmm. Jacob was wrong to respond, but I also feel like we're looking to celebrities too much. I feel like in the black community, oh, for some reason, celebrities are our leaders. Man. No, but hold on. No, but hold on. I don't see any other community saying, where's, I don't see nobody in Asia talking about, where's Jackie Chan? What's Jackie Chan saying? Like, but for some reason, in our, in our world, yeah, in our world, yeah, the black community, the black celebrities are the leaders. Actually, like, can example, I call, can I call you up on that? Go on. People in the Asian community have actually been quite vocal about the fact that Jackie Chan is very <laughs> pro uh the chinese government no, you're right, and the one you're party right, system right. so more liberal right. chinese people especially no, but, in the diaspora have called him out yeah. on that. so anyway no but they're calling him out for what he said not for what he's not saying and we're out here expecting you know our rappers to go up there and you know and i don't know what be, like it wasn't the case we had other leaders there was malcolm there was martin do you know what i'm saying there's other people that have to run the you know run the baton angela davis do you know what i'm saying like but now it's become a thing where the celebrities are who we expect to speak for us they're not qualified to they've got platforms don't get twisted mm. right but they're not qualified i don't want to hit like it's that dave Chappelle joke after 9 11 where they're like yeah we've got ja rule on the line and he's like i don't want to hear what ja rule's got to say right now i don't care what ja rule's got to say right now after 9 11 we got ja rule on the phone let's see what ja's thoughts are on this tragedy who gives a fuck what ja rule thinks at a time like this nigga this is ridiculous i don't want to dance i'm scared to death I want some answers that Ja Rule might not have right now. I want to hear somebody who's qualified, who's done the work, who's done the reading, yeah, who has influence on the ground as an actual activist, right? But those people are, are, are completely blocked out because we're always looking for celebrities. It's kind of like how as soon as Kim K got involved in the prison reform movement, now all of a sudden people want to like, oh yeah, Kim K, right? But who were the activists mm -hmm. prior to that who was doing the work, True right? Say. Um, and also Kendrick, for example... I know what Kendrick thinks because on all of his albums, he's been pro-black. You see what I'm saying? I don't need to know what Kendrick's tweeting out every five minutes. Like, I know what Kendrick's position is, right? And I feel like we've just got to be mindful of the fact that I just don't see many other communities where the celebrity is this kind of, is seen as like this important on a political level. Of course, I, don't, I want to know that the people that I support are not bad people or they're not nefarious people or have nefarious agendas. But I also don't look to them to be like, tell me what to do. What do we do? How mm. do we do this? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, I hear you. The other thing I was thinking, like I just was watching a video that Afropunk put out from a previous event where Angela Davis spoke mm. and it was about radical self-care. And I was reflecting on it on my own experience because I've just personally found June to be really exhausting and putting ourselves out there the way we do. We open ourselves up for obviously a lot of really interesting conversations, but also a lot of really challenging conversations. And like, especially last week in particular, I had a lot of super problematic conversations uh, right. with people in our space. And like, I just, I just realized how much energy it takes to like respond to hate and nonsense yeah. from yeah. a place of like patience and compassion and I think, you know, to your point, artists put themselves on the line, like they open up their soul to us and, and, and share that on a plate. And I think, you know, that's their, that's their advocacy or that's their way of changing the world. And yeah, you're right. Like, you know, they do it through their words and their songs and, and maybe that should be enough sometimes. So as you know, here on Techish, hashtag Techish, join, join the conversations. We love to talk about just how far lack of representation in tech reverberates throughout society in ways mm -hmm. that sometimes we even forget and don't understand. And one thing that we've been talking about a lot 
is what happens when there's a lack of diversity in the world of AI, right? Not only mm. in terms of who creates AI, but of course the data sets that our algorithms and lovely little formulas rely upon. And um, there's been a lot of really interesting stuff coming out of machine learning uh, and the fact that machine learning is relying on existing racial biases. So in previous episodes, we talked about machine learning identifying uh, like a laser pointer in a white hand as a tool and a laser pointer in a black hand as a weapon. Right. In the latest development, it was given an image of former U.S. President Obama as an original, but blurred. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> machine learning was used to uh, basically like improve the quality of the image. In the process of improving Obama's blurry image, he became a white man. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm looking at it now. So the, the app was called Face Depixelizer and you'd give it like a low-res image, like a blurry image, and then it would make it high-res and guess what the face would look like, right? And when you gave it anybody who was, you know, person of color or black, it would guess that the face was white. Like, I, I, I don't even know. Like, oh, I don't know. I think someone said it best where it's not even necessarily like dev, like bias in, in AI. It's almost like bias in data. Like every oh, developer yeah. is basically using only white people for training data. Like, because they think that white people are everywhere, are, are the whole world. It doesn't make any sense. The vast majority white of the world are, are, are people of melanin. Yeah, as in my people are the default, but, but the vast majority of people brown. in the world are people of melanin, right? You yeah, well, I have to brown. know that, right? <laughs> yeah. I, don't even, I don't even need to know that. It's a, it's a, it's a geographic and, you know, statistical fact that, you know, Europe is a, is a minority in terms of um, ethnic representation globally. So how can you make, how can you only run training data on a certain type of person? It's actually because insane. Because you don't like, notice what's missing. This is the problem. Privilege is invisible to those who have it. So if you're a white person and you're but, a white person in the default, you just don't... You just don't think about other people. Why would you think about other yeah. people? I mean, I literally like asked my husband, when did you realize you were white? And he was like, uh, Never. <laughs> he's married to me for goodness sake. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, we, it's a journey. It's a journey. You'd be, you be having them real talk conversations with your husband, boy. I love it. That's hey real man, talk hustle right crew, there. don't stop. Hustle crew, don't <laughs> hustle stop. Take hustle, taking hustle crew back home with you. Like, I love it. All right, <laughs> I asked cool. my whole like in-laws this like over the weekend. I was just like, when did you realize you were white? Every person who's listening to this, go to the closest white person you know and ask them when did they realize they were white and, and enjoy the very interesting conversation you're going to have. You know, you might get a whole bunch of people like getting in trouble because they go up to their boss and say that, but I don't know. Dude, <laughs> Hopefully they won't get that's fired exactly for that. the kind of person you should be asking that question to, given the fact that there's an ethnicity pay gap, affinity bias. Honestly, hashtag techish. Tell me what happens when you ask this question. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody, that brings us to the end of the latest Techish. Please use the hashtag Techish on Twitter to let us know what you think about this. Are you a fan of Nextdoor? Are you a fan of Robin Hood? How do you think they should respond to the recent events? Are you going to be getting a at hey.com email address? Is it worth 99 bucks a month? Maybe you already have it. Just holler back and let us know. And then, of course, uh, please let us know. J. Cole versus No Name. Whose side are you on? What do you think about what Michael's saying? Are we asking too much of artists in the black community? Plus, anything else you want to say? Anything else you want to say? Hashtag yeah. Techish is the way to reach us. <laughs> and if you want some more Techish in your ear, subscribe to our Patreon for extra-ish, our exclusive Patreon-only podcast. Catch you next week. Peace. Bye.